Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of She Talks. If you haven't already heard, in this podcast series, we will be discussing a notable woman in history with a group of Beasley team members from all across the business and the globe. Today's She Talks Spotlight is on pioneering feminist, inventor of Monopoly, and all-around fascinating woman, Elizabeth Lizzie Maggie Phillips. My name is Gabby Martineau, and I am one of the event managers here at Beasley. I'm based out of the Chicago office and have been the network communications lead and deputy chair of Beasley She for over two years. What is Beasley She? Well, Beasley She supports successful, high potential, and empowered women in insurance. This means supporting women internally and externally within the industry and providing opportunities for personal and professional development. The network is open to everyone, regardless of gender, across the business. Beasley She hosts events like panel discussions, book clubs, Beasley She cafes, educational sessions, and podcasts, just like this one. Today, I'm joined by a great group of Beasley team members. Julia, would you like to introduce yourself first? Tell us just a bit about your role here at Beasley, and did you know anything about Lizzie Maggie before today? Sure. Thanks, Gabby. Uh, my name is Julia Matucci. I'm an assistant underwriter on the Miscellaneous Medical and Life Sciences team. I've been here at Beasley for just a little over two and a half years now, and I had no idea who Lizzie Maggie was until <laughs> I was invited to this call. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Julia. Dan, how about you next? Thanks, Gabby. Uh, my name is Dan D'Almeida. I'm an underwriter on the executive risk team based in New York. I've been with Beasley for almost 17 years, and I also have never heard of Lizzie Maggie before this uh, inv invitation, so I appreciate it. Wow, wow. You and me both, Dan. We're all going to find out stuff today. Wonderful. Thank you, thank you. And last but most certainly not least, Laura. Hi, I'm Laura Ferguson. Uh, I'm based in the London office. Um, I'm head of business management for Culture and People. Uh, relatively recent into that role, I've just come from being the head of internal comms, culture and employee engagement. Um, I've been at Beasley 20 years next year, so I'm just pipping down at the post. Um, and in that time, I've seen a few different roles. Um, and yeah, I'm making it a hat trick. I, I have not heard of Lizzie either, but I'm excited. Yes, yes. Very exciting stuff. And this is so lovely. Thank you all so much for agreeing to participate today. So without further ado, let's dive in, shall we? Uh, before we open up the floor for some discussion questions, I am going to give just a brief history of Lizzie Maggie for those that may not already know the whole story, which I, I venture a guess it's pretty much all of us. So this should be an interesting story for all. Now, aside from being an actress, writer, poet, pioneering feminist, and an inventor who held several patents, Lizzie Maggie is best known for creating what has become the most popular board game in the world, Monopoly. Born in Macomb, Illinois in 1866, the seeds of the Monopoly game were planted early when James Maggie, her father, shared with his daughter a copy of Henry George's best-selling book, Progress and Poverty, written in 1879. As an anti-monopolist, James Maggie drew from the theories of George, a charismatic politician and economist who believed that individuals should own 100% of what they made or created, but that everything found in nature, particularly land, should belong to everyone. Lizzie moved to Washington, D.C. in 1880s as a single woman and worked as a stenographer and typist at the dead letter office. 
Her first patent was actually for a typewriting machine in 1893 that essentially helped paper move through the typewriter rollers more easily. However, she spent most of her time drawing and redrawing, thinking and rethinking the game that she wanted to be based on the theories of Henry George. Maggie's game was quite unique for its time. It featured a path that allowed players to circle the board in contrast to the linear path designed, design used by many games at the time. The plot of the board game is surprisingly similar to that of Macomb's Downtown Square. In one corner were the poor house and the public park, and across the board was the jail. And Macomb's jail, incidentally, was, at the time, in one of the corners of the square. Now, also included on the board were three words that have endured for more than a century after Lizzie scrawled them there. Go to jail. Sound familiar? <laughs> she called her creation the Landlord's Game, and in 1903 filed a patent for the game while living in Brentwood, Maryland. Bear in mind that this was a time when less than 1% of patent holders were women. Ironically, decades later, it was Maggie's landlord game that Charles Darrow was taught by a friend, played, and then in 1935 appropriated and sold to Parker Brothers under the name of Monopoly. The version of that game held the core of Maggie's game, but included some modifications added by the Quakers to make the game easier to play. In addition to properties named after Atlantic City streets, fixed prices were added to the board. If not for her trailblazing patent, the original game and Lizzie Maggie herself may have been lost in history. While Darrow made millions with an agreement that ensured he would receive royalties, Lizzie's income for her creation was reported to be a mere $500. But Lizzie Maggie, or even Parker Brothers and Charles Darrow, could never have imagined that Monopoly would not only be a hit, but a global sensation and perennial best-selling game for generations. Lizzie Maggie unfortunately died in obscurity in 1948, thanks in part to a 1970s patent dispute between Parker Brothers and anti-monopoly game designer Ralph Anspach, the true origins of the world's best-selling board game were unveiled yet again. Yet only now is Elizabeth Maggie Phillips actually getting the attention and credit she deserves. It's a really powerful story. So lots to chew on here. I want to get right into it. First thoughts, any particular topics that resonate or inspire you from Lizzie Maggie's story? Uh, we'll start with Laura. Any topics? Well, actually, this is a bit of a personal one, but the fact that she was an actress and and that I actually started off my career, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and and so that actually instantly jumped out at me because actually it shows that sometimes I think with when you have like acting training or that kind of part behind you, it kind of gives you a little bit of tenacity because you get used to being told no or you're not quite right for something, but you kind of have to keep going. And that feels like maybe you know, that that seemed to happen there uh, and that tenacity that kind of jumped out to me uh, that she just had multiple ideas or kept going with something. Um, and that that was the instant thing that resonated. That's great. Anybody else thoughts on the, the first go? I'll piggyback off of Laura's statement, actually. I liked that she had such a diverse background and I kind of, you know, as I was listening to you tell her story and I, I am kind of an obsessive researcher, like, I'll look at things at nauseum. So I did a little bit of background uh, research about her. She was kind of a jack of all trades. And I think that that's really 
kind of reassuring. Um, I think, you know, for me personally, I didn't, you know, grow up in the insurance world. This wasn't what I thought I was going to do my whole life. I had many different roles prior to this one now where I feel like this is the fit for me. Um, but I think it's a testament to it takes some time to kind of to to find your way and you you can be all these different things and and be successful. So I like that about her. That's true. She did. She taught us that, too, because that's early days. You know, she was a pioneer in her own time, for sure. Right. Dan, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it just speaks to the determination that she had. Um, I also was kind of reading a little bit more about her just because I wanted to, uh, <laughs> you know, just have a little bit better, you know, knowledge of, of what she had done. But she was only she was one of less than one percent of women that had that held a patent at that time, which which speaks volumes to what she had done. And the fact that she did it when she was, I think it was 26, which was before women could even vote. So, right. Right. so there, it's, it speaks volumes. Incredible. Incredible. Speaking of being a pioneer, she was indeed a pioneer of her own time with those multiple patents under her name. It's not an easy feat for a woman at that time in history. So what do you think it took to be the, quote, first to achieve achieve something like this at the time, you know, what sort of pressure do you think she felt? I'm going to throw it back to you, Dan, because you did just do some research. So, um, what do you think? I mean, how do you think she felt during that time? And frustration would be the first thing that comes to mind. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there was plenty of doubt um, that was thrown her way, and criticism for the fact that she was trying to go outside of what was the norm at the time. Um, so, I, I can't imagine that her her path was was very easy, and I think, you know, just because she was a woman, um, it, it, you know, it, it was certainly a challenge. Absolutely, Julia, any thoughts? She, yeah, I think you know, she married at forty four, right? So I think that she was an incredibly independent woman and probably very self assured. Um, you know, going back on what Laura said, that actress background, I think you get used to hearing no. So I think that in the face of adversity, she just persevered. I think that, you know, she wasn't afraid and she wasn't knocked down by, um, you know, hearing hearing the word no. Uh, I think that she was a very confident woman. And that probably propelled her to to do what she did. She was used to the pressure. So right, right. why not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Laura, same thoughts? Yeah, I think it doesn't, from the sort of research we've done in the story, I'm I'm not, I don't understand potentially enough around perhaps her like class or financial background, but I think sometimes that can have a real impact or perception and maybe of the time, not so much now, but you know, you know, certain things open doors and they just did, you know, certainly back then before social media, before you can network, you know, with anyone around the world at the drop of a hat and a touch of a finger and button and what have you. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested to understand a little bit more about how, how much her background even gave her that tenacity because she may have just, you know, and her family set up, you know, in terms of like what it would have taken for her to do that, there probably would have been a lot of kind of, like you say, networking or that sort of stakeholder management. And I'm sort of trying to bring it back to like the, the kind of world of work. But th those are the types of things that you kind of have to keep pushing, keep kind of floating ideas, challenging yourself again and to, to perhaps do that from someone I'm not sure what her education background was but back in that time you know all of those things would have either been a real plus point for her or could have potentially held her back which if if she was from a background that was less privileged at the time you know that achievement 
would have perhaps been even even bigger. Yeah, absolutely. Her dad, James Maggie, uh, was actually a, he was a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A reporter, <laughs> a reporter back then. He was, he wrote for a newspaper. Um, and so I do think that did very much contribute to her, uh, her upbringing. You know, she got kind of the way of the world early. She she kind of knew, um, you know, James Maggie followed Lincoln around when he was debating with, with uh, Douglas. And so, I think that could be that could be huge for why she was so tenacious about this. You know, she saw that growing up um, and I didn't really have time to include that in her background. But boy, that is you're very right, Laura, that it does, I think, lend itself to her um, determination then going into it. So great stuff. Now, this is the unfortunate part, though. Lizzie was unfortunately, not credited for inventing Monopoly until present day. You know, Darrow took the credit uh, and Parker Brothers, of course. Do you think do you think she should have fought harder to be credited or what is was it even possible for her to fight harder at that time? Laura, I'm going to start with you. Well, as Dan, Dan sort of points out, my, now my American history is not great, so sorry, but like it's before the, the vote for women. So maybe there was just not even, even that is in the psyche as much as it is now, maybe, uh, you know, unfortunately, however much, however determined someone is, there's almost that kind of, maybe there was an acceptance there. But, you know, in terms of if that was today, she 100% would be fighting for it. You just know that. You know, and maybe it's just it yeah. shows the sign of the times that you've moved on to that you don't, you know, you don't sit back. And and I'm, sounds like I'm doing a shameless plug for Beasley She here. But one of the things that, you know, the focus is for Beasley She this year has been around confidence and confidence in the workplace. Um, and some of the things we've been doing, certainly in the UK network, is, is having sort of cafes and talks around like the, exactly these things. When you're not credited or when you have an idea, how can you really speak up, have that voice? And, you know, all those resources were just not there. And I think that's it's just a sign of the times. And, you know, it's not that it's right, but perhaps perhaps it was just something that kind of, was accepted, which just absolutely wouldn't be accepted now. So true. So true. Dan, what do you got? Uh, you know, it's funny is I, I would think that having the, you know, her father being involved with Abraham Lincoln, you would think that that would almost put her in a different level, that it would make these type of things easier. And it and it didn't work that way. So unfortunately, I think I'd have to agree with the group is I, I don't know if she really could have done anything else. Um, I know she did come out with an article, which maybe, you know, having her father, you know, uh, his background behind her gave her the confidence to come out with an article, um, you know, pointing out the fact that she was the person who, you know, who, who had invented it and Parker Brothers, you know, agreed later to publish or um, um, to put, yeah, to publish two more of her, her games, but again, gave credit to Darrow. So it just, you know, I think unfortunately she was, it was a result of the times that she, that she grew up in. Yeah. It kind of echoes the um, female writers of the time too, that would maybe go under a male pseudonym or something just, mm -hmm. just in order to be seen. Um, that's so true. Julia. Yeah. You know, going along with what everyone else has been saying, I, I, I do believe this was probably just a product of the time. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that it was, it was hard to, you know, to, to own that, um, you know, achievement of herself, uh, you know, having just sold it. But it also raises a question to me, like, you know, 
politically? Was there something that like happened in the exchange of of selling this game where she couldn't take notoriety for it? Because, you know, she had been in the spotlight before. She wasn't a stranger to it. So it it for me, it almost raises a red flag. Did something happen when the game was sold that she, she couldn't possibly, you know, gain any attention from it, you know, post, you know, the the papers are signed. I, I don't know. I just I just wonder. Yeah. Very interesting. Or, you know, was she duped? You know, was it was it a situation where she didn't even realize that she was signing it away? That that could very well have happened. And, you know, history is is so interesting because some some little details can get lost in there. You know, you just never really know the full the full story. So what we do know, though, um, is that she did indeed create this game and we we have the the patents to prove it now, you know, the landlord's game was her game and the core of that game went into Monopoly. However, do you think that Lizzie would be able to create this board game, the the same board game? So if you've played Monopoly, just, you know, thinking about Monopoly, do you think she'd be able to create, create this board game in today's economy? And how would that be received if, if this was just brand new Monopoly? Um, Julia, we'll go to you. We actually don't know um, <laughs> that you could develop a game like this today. Um, in again, I'm gonna you know go back to the the little research I did of her, and I could be wrong here, but I believe that there were two sets that she created and developed. One was an anti-monopolist set mm-hmm. where um, you know everyone's rewarded in the game, and then the other one is more of the monopolist at the traditional one that we know today. I think maybe the anti-monopolist set, maybe in today's climate, maybe would have been more favorable. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure that this game would have would have flown today. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Laura, any thoughts on that? I think if she if she was going to do it, she would have had a few more resources maybe at her fingertips, you know, whether that was GoFundMe page or uh you know social media to kind of promote it on or even like this is the one thing i always think right with with like today's climate is that the confidence that people have got to do things is a lot bigger like when you know showing my age a bit but growing up you know i only had the entrepreneurs and the sort of ceos or the managing directors that i could see were so much older than me you know like and that was something i well, that was that's in the future. That's not going to happen. Now you see people who are managing directors, CEOs, you know, successful billionaires or whatever of their own companies, and they're 24. So it kind of everyone's got a side hustle. Everyone's got something else going on because it just feels more accessible. Um, and that's the internet. So maybe it wouldn't have been something that would have if she were creating it today. Whether the actual concept of the game, but let's say the game, a game, she could have created something probably got it out there not necessarily to the extent that the success it is but there are a few more tools on hand and and that confidence to just go I'm going to do this on the side so I think I think in terms of if she had that tenacity and she was here now then something could have been created true I agree Dan final thoughts on that yeah I I completely agree um I I can't speak to whether or not the game would be sold because I'm not a creative person so I would never be able to (laughs) answer that piece but I think just now given you know how strong of a person she was and in today's environment that she wouldn't be ignored or looked at unfavorably and I think also the fact that different versions were being played in colleges and whatnot of this 
game would be, you know, would be streaming or not streaming, uh, would go viral and just kind of just social media, people would see it more and more. So I think she would, she would certainly benefit from that nowadays. Yeah. A little monopoly TikTok, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> go viral. Um, that's so interesting. And yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. I think it, it would be a little different. It would be a little weird, but knowing that Monopoly has been here as long as it has, it's hard to imagine that. It's hard to imagine just not having Monopoly because it is kind of an iconic board game and a bit of a board game bridge into more complicated board games. Um, I will admit I'm a bit of a board game nerd, so uh, this question is a little bit more for me, but have you ever played Monopoly, any of you, and do you like it? And be honest here, you know, why or why not? do you like it or dislike it? Um, Dan, what, what about you? Have you played? I love Monopoly. Um, I will admit that I do not like the different versions that are out there, the Game yeah. of Thrones and the, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, there's so many different versions. Um, but I will say I do support one of them, the, the Monopoly Junior. So, you know, a little bit of a slimmed down version for the kids. Um, it keeps my attention um, and their intent, uh, attention as well. So, um, sure. but I do love Monopoly and I, I like the fact that they tried to, you know, expand their their reach to kids and, you know, slimming down the game to make it a little bit quicker moving. Yeah, that's a good point. There's so many iterations of the game now. I mean, seriously, you can find any sort of fandom has been made into Monopoly. If it's worth being a fan of that fandom, it's been made into Monopoly. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, Julia, have you ever played? Do you like it? Yes. Yeah, I think as a kid, you know, we were definitely into like Friday night, you know, family game nights. So Monopoly was definitely part of the rotation. Um, I definitely enjoyed it, but I think it's one of those, it's a definitely a longer game, right? Yeah. So you have to carve out time for it. Um, you know, everyone needs the patience for it as well. And, uh, you know, it can get a bit competitive, but I, I do, I do enjoy <laughs> the game for sure. Yes, yes, indeed. Now, Laura, have you played it? I have indeed. And um, I really enjoyed it as a kid. Um, I was always the banker. Uh, I love rules. <laughs> I really like sticking to a rule. And I like the concept. I think, Dan, you just mentioned there's loads of other versions. And I sh I'm sure there's a version which is like Monopoly cheat. And <laughs> like what well, there is in the UK. And I just cannot get my head right. It's like, you're, like, that's just, yeah, I can't cope with that. But the one thing I've never done is played it to the end. Because again, like you say, Julia, no one has ever wanted to sit there and play it. For, so I can hand on heart, even though I've probably played it so many times, I've never had a hotel. I've never got to a hotel. And and I maybe like maybe after this we we can all get together and play so I can finally own a hotel. Yes, a cross-continental monopoly yeah. game. I'm here for that. I have to agree with you, Laura. I don't I cannot remember a time where I actually officially finished the game. I think we were close. Perhaps it was too late. I, I don't know. It just, it, it does get long, especially if you're competitive with one another and your, you know, money is changing hands throughout. I've played so many long board games, but that is one that I just have not, I've not completed. Um, so maybe that is, this is the sign. This is the sign to complete a game of Monopoly, just to say just to say that we have. So, um, wow. I just, I cannot thank you all enough for your fantastic discussion today. Um, I couldn't have imagined such a wonderful group of people to discuss this uh, wonderful woman. Julie, Dan, Laura, thank you so much for your insights, 
both uh, both professionally and personally. These opinions, I think, really translate to both. Um, and a final big thank you, of course, to our Beasley Sheet leadership team, Elizabeth Wheeler in the U.S., Sidoni Williams and Charlotte Allen in the U.K., as well as our executive sponsor, Luann Layton, for all of your support and participation in the efforts of Beasley She. Have a wonderful day, everyone. And thanks again for listening to our episode of She Talks.